Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to read here in, if you have your Bibles, read here in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. Very familiar verse of scripture. As I was preparing this week, I uh, had intentionally, you know, felt and that the Lord was leading me to speak about the heroes of the faith. And um, all of us know this chapter very well. But as I began to study, I noticed uh, a very important principle here um, regarding faith. And so I hope to be able to, to share with you what I feel the Lord has shared with me. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Uh, so I want to teach tonight about blind faith. Confidence and conviction. Confidence and conviction. Um, you know, I still, I still am going to to talk about some of the heroes of the faith, uh, the elders that this chapter brings up. I won't get a chance to talk about all of them because he, the writer of Hebrews, mentions quite a few of them. Um, but I hope, hopefully, I'll get a chance to talk about three or so. But I want to spend some time here. Uh, because faith is described uh, in a very specific way and is described as being and, and is in, described and attributed to the elders, the early elders of the faith, and also in the Old Testament as well. Um, I thought about titling this. I actually talked to pastor this today uh, or it might have been yesterday. And, and I told him, I, I'm not real sure I got a title, you know, for podcast purposes. And I looked at my wife and I said, uh, you know, what if I call it MFPs, most, most faithful people? And she was like, mm, no, that's kind of lame. I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is kind of lame. So I, I, I will still talk about them. Um, but this is sort of where I landed as I studied more today. Just, just blind faith. So, and sometimes that phrase can have a bit of a negative connotation. Um, but again, tonight as I unpack this, hopefully we'll all leave here understanding a little bit better why I gave it that title. But when we feel tired and tested, we can look to those who have come before us as examples of how faith in God can carry you through. And this is even true even if we lack specific examples of faith in our lives, if we, you know, can't look to our parents, can't look to our, our, our loved ones, uh, friends, or whatever the case might be, as examples of, of how to possess faith, faith and how to have faith in our life, it's still true that faith, and the, the faith I'm going to talk about, faith will carry you through. I had a conversation recently with my family about how I deal with difficult people. And there was a, there's a spe uh, specific situation that's happening in my family right now. And a lot of negative things going on. But I explained to them that, you know, my approach to life is 
I, I'm not naive, right? I, I get that there are people in life, there are some evil dudes and evil dudettes in life that, that you know, outside of Christ, without the grace that I have and have received from Christ that I then show to others, without that example of Christ, I, I probably wouldn't have anything to do with them. But the way I operate, and this is, this is a high calling, I feel, uh, and it's also a very difficult one to maintain, but the way I operate is I operate by, I acknowledge it, I see the evil, I see the propensity toward evil, and yet I still extend that olive branch. I still extend that grace and that, that love, right? And even if I don't agree, and a lot of times I don't agree with what they're doing in their life, um, I still extend that olive branch then that, and that uh, I make a conscious decision to see and urge others towards Christ and toward good works, even though it's our nature to do the opposite. Um, but especially when it comes to people in my family, it's just how I operate. And as I'm telling them this, I can hear the crickets on the other side of the phone. Like they're not getting what I'm telling them because they don't have Christ in their life. They don't have that example. And so, you know, the question is, well, how am I able to have this kind of intentional lifestyle? And it's truly because of my faith in God. It's because of my belief that God does not want any person in this world to perish. And I know that because his word says it. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Repentance. You might be asking yourself, well, is this vain faith? Or I could feel them maybe asking me on the other side of the phone in their head, this, this, this faith in vain, right? Because these people aren't going to change. This is who they are. Maybe they're saying to themselves, well, this is, this is blind faith. And I would say to that, yes, actually it is <laughs> because I don't see it. And, you know, blind people have faith. You know, if they're going to walk around and trust that that stick or whatever it is they're using, that CNI dog is navigating them and leading them, they have to have faith that they're not going to fall off the edge of a cliff or run into a car or, you know, get stabbed by, I don't know, a knife or something. I don't know. But they have to, they have, to have that faith, even though they can't see, that they're safe, they're okay. So even though I can't see things or don't see things happening or goodness happening, I still have faith to believe that it will because God said that he wants all to come to repentance. Um, you know, I can hold true to that, to that declaration. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse five through seven says, now he who has prepared us for this very thing, talking about the resurrection, is God who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. The King James Version says, given us the earnest of the spirit. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Blind faith. And, you know, if you know how <clears throat> earnest money works, if you don't, go talk to Brother Floyd. I'm sure he can explain it to you. But the way earnest money works, if you're going to buy a house, you, you basically put skin in the game, if you will, or teeth or whatever the colloquialism is. You, you, you're, in, you're invested. When you set that earnest money down, you're going to buy that house. You're invested. And if you renege or d decide not to go through with it, then your earnest money is lost. Right? Well, this is what Christ did for us. 
He gave us the earnest, his, his guarantee that we will be resurrected again and we will be resurrected because of the spirit. It is his spirit that he gave us is the earnest, is the guarantee. And I promise I'm going somewhere tonight. I'm setting all this up because we have to understand that the type of faith that these people had in this chapter, chapter 11, these people that this, the writer of Hebrews points out, the type of faith they had was a type of faith that said, even though I can't see the reward presently, I'm still going to follow Christ. I'm still going to follow God. I'm still going to believe. I'm still going to obey. I'm still going to trust, even though I don't see things happening the way I want them to happen. The Bible says, I have not seen, talking about the physical eyes, and I would like to say I, this person, has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We haven't even seen it. We can't even fathom the gifts and the goodness on the other side of eternity. The underlying theme and the point that the writer of Hebrews attempts to make is that faith is our only approach to God. The writer wanted the early followers to realize that because Christ is superior, his work is superior, and therefore our walk must be superior. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, we know this scripture, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This verse captures the fundamental difference between our faith under the New Testament and the way they believed under the Old Testament. Here in Hebrews eleven six, it says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that's the first condition, and that he is, the, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, under the Old Testament law, people approached God, they, they came to God to worship him with physical sacrifices, lambs and bullocks and things in hand, to lay them down on the altar, and that was the way they worshiped. They had those, those physical sacrifices. But under New Testament law, we approach God, we come to God to worship him through our faith, our faith in him. When we do these two things, believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him, Christ then embodies the role of rewarder in our lives and he responds to our faith by becoming our rewarder. The writer of Hebrews spent a great deal of time explaining the superiority of Christ's ministry and encouraging early believers not to return to the Old Testament way of approaching God. You see, with Christ, the rituals became obsolete and faith, sight unseen, became the new design. This became the new design for, for us, the way we approach God, the way we interact and encounter with God. It's, it's, a, it's a blind faith. I don't have any physical, physical sacrifices to bring. I don't have any rams and lambs and bullocks to lay at the altar, but I can approach God with my faith and I can trust him and obey him and obey his commands through my faith. It's in the midst of the call in the midst of the call to approach Jesus Christ by way of faith, the writer gives us a list of heroes that were full of faith and they didn't really have um, any insight or any vision into what type of reward they were going to receive. But before we talk about these heroes of the faith, let's talk and take a little bit deeper in, into how faith is defined. Hebrews 11, chapter 
chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, our opening scripture. It says, now faith, and whenever you see, actually in Hebrews and sometimes in the epistles, whenever you see that word now, before the next sentence, it's a call to attention. So we need to pay attention to what's getting ready to be said. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Remember, these believers were endeavoring, as, as the writer of Hebrews is, is writing these words down, he's thinking about the, the believers in his day who were endeavoring to return to the visible, tangible rituals of tabernacle sacrifice. So as he's writing this, he has them in mind. But he, re, he wanted to remind them that the law was not of faith. The Old Testament law was not of faith. It was not a law of faith. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 7 through 14, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. I love this scripture because it's saying to us that the word of God preached the gospel to Abraham. Preached the good news to Abraham that all nations were going to be blessed because of his faith. Okay? Because of his faith. Continuing in verse 9. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So he says, it's written, you're going to be cursed if you don't follow after the law. But then he says, I need to, I need to make a little bit of an, of an addendum here. Because if you don't approach God with faith, then you're cursed. It's not enough to just bring sacrifices, physical sacrifices. You've got to operate, interact, and engage with God by way of faith. The just shall live by faith. Verse 12, and the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. I love all these little hyperlinks, but anyway, I'll keep going. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through sacrifice. You got the scriptures up? Are they following along? It's not working? Well, if you have your Bibles, take your Bibles out. That's why y'all looking at me like, where is he? Is he in, what is he reading? <laughs> so I mean, I look like our, our mannequin here on the screen. Got blinders on. Where is he going? Bring your, bring, your, uh, bring your Bibles to church. Um, but verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, not through sacrifice. You see, way back in the Old Testament, outside a tent in the desert, God declared to Abraham that all nations will be blessed because of his faith, not because of his rituals, not because of his blood-stained clothes from slaughtering animals, but it was because of his faith 
sight unseen. Sight unseen. The Bible is clear. God would have no pleasure and has no pleasure in them who return to former things. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 through 39. No? (laughs) Reading here. Now, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's what he said. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We don't, we don't turn back. We don't, we don't turn around and go the other way in the opposite direction from God. That's not what we do. We don't, we don't return to the big word they used here is perdition. But no, we believe to the saving of the soul, to the saving of the soul. We believe until we die. We don't, we don't go back to former things. This is what he's bringing out here. So to live a life focused on the visible world was akin to returning to the old and busted things in the, in the New Testament, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, when God has called us to live in the new hotness. Faith. The new hotness. Not the old and busted. But let's be clear, one could participate in the rituals of the law and not have faith. Anybody remember Cain? You know, of course, Cain and Abel sacrificed before the law was given to Moses, but Cain sacrificed and God rejected his sacrifice because his approach was all wrong. You know, if you read the story, you you see how Cain over time became frustrated with God. And so he was no longer approaching God out of faith. He was approaching God out of frustration. And God rejected, when you read the story, God rejected him first. Then he rejected his sacrifice. So it was very, very possible to, to participate in the rituals and not have faith. But it was also possible for people who were full of faith to also sacrifice. Why? Because that's what God told them to do. This is what I want. This is the plan I have for you. You're going to obey. And, and they did it. But this brings me to a very important aspect regarding faith. When you think of biblical faith, don't think about the secret. Anybody ever seen that documentary? No, never seen the secret. Never heard that term. Well, the secret is a, this idea that we can think, if we think positively enough about things that we want to happen, new house, million dollars, you know, whatever the case might be, it'll happen eventually. Secret, not a secret, but it's a secret, Right? That's what, they, that's what they teach you. But when you think about biblical faith, that's not how faith works. Okay? This idea that we can somehow bring into existence things that do not presently exist is not the type of faith that Hebrews 11 is talking about. When I was studying this, I found uh, Daniel Seagraves. He's a, a minister in our movement. Uh, he's a professor of biblical theology at Urshan Graduate College. I found his book on Hebrews very, very helpful uh, in understanding this. And he says this on one of the pages. He says, nowhere in this chapter does faith fit the description of being a force by which we can bring into existence things that do not presently exist, but for which we hope. For example, though all the people in this chapter had genuine faith, not one of them received faith's ultimate reward. And I'm going to give you scripture for that here in a minute. Instead, the faith described here is the human response to divine initiative. 
the human response to divine initiative. God speaks, whether with a specific or general command, and men and women respond with obedient actions springing from their unquestioning trust in him. That's the kind of faith. God speaks, we obey. It's not a faith that, oh, I want this so bad, man. I'm believing that God is going to give this to me. So, and it, That's not the faith. Did God speak that into your life? Do you find it in his word? If not, brother, sister, it probably ain't going to happen. You can't think it into existence. Okay. Hebrews 11, three, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. Raise your hand here tonight if you were present when God created the universe. Anybody? Raise your hand. Seeing as we only have two clowns in the front seat saying that they were here, my son being one of them. Jeez. No, we weren't here. But we believe that it happened. Faith. This was an unseen event, yet we believe it was done because God said that it was done. We didn't need to see it to believe it. And our believing did not cause it to happen. It happened because God spoke it. This is the kind of faith that we have to have. Sight unseen. We're trusting God. Sight unseen, we're trusting God. Faith is about believing in what God has already declared and put in motion. It's not about you believing that you can bring into existence something that does not presently exist. Let's look at Hebrews 11.1 1 again with this idea in mind. Now, faith is the substance, and the original interpretation of this word is and I think actually, Ryan, you might have pointed this out some months ago. You probably remember. See, sometimes my memory works. Sometimes it doesn't. But it worked because I remember you bringing this out. But faith is the substance or the confidence of things hoped for. And the evidence or in the original interpretation, the conviction of things not seen. So I'm going to read it again. Now, faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, this, this confidence and this conviction, the elders obtained a good report. Faith enables us, enables us to cling to the essentials of the new covenant, which though yet not realized, already exist and will one day be clearly seen. We don't, we don't see it yet, but we believe, we trust, we obey. The type of faith these heroes had did not demand sensory, physical, visual evidence. The type of faith we are encouraged to have is settled confidence in the unseen God and an immovable conviction for what he has declared. This is the type of faith we are called to possess. And so when we talk about the hall of heroes, the, the heroes of the faith, we have to think that they're mentioned here because of the type of faith they had. This is why the Bible talks about them specifically. Hebrews eleven four. 4, the first one I want to talk about is Abel. Abel was a faithful trendsetter. And he's important to mention because, again, his sacrifices that he offered were pre-Mosaic law. By faith, 
Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. I love that. God testified of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. The first elder mentioned is one who sacrificed before the Mosaic law was instituted. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a farmer. Each man brought unto God an offering of their craft, but somewhere along the way, Cain began to bring the fruit of the ground. Theologians note that pre-Mosaic law, God accepted sacrifice not based on the material. First, uh, again, fruit versus flesh. Cain brought the fruit. Abel brought the flesh. God didn't base sacrifice off of the material, but he did accept the sacrifice based on it being an outward expression of devotion and obedience. You following me? The material didn't matter. It, the heart mattered. The person mattered. The individual bringing the sacrifice is what God looked at. So I ask you today, what type of, how are you approaching God? Are you in a position to, when you bring your, your faith and your belief and your trust and your obedience to God, are you in a place where God would testify of your obedience, your faith, your, your trust in him? God testified about Abel's faith and his trust. In fact, God tells Cain that if he avoids doing well or avoids sacrificing out of obedience and, and a sincere devo devotion, then sin waits at the door. If we don't, if we come and approach God uh, out of disobedience and out of frustration, I mean, sin and sin is right there. It's waiting at the door. And God warns Cain about this. He says, if you, just, if you just do well, and that doing well is, is about o obeying him, trusting him, without all the frustration and the itchiness and the, you know, oh, I can't just, God, you got to do something now. But if you do well, you will be accepted. He accepts the individual, God does. He accepts, accepts the individual before he accepts the sacrifice. And here's why, Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. God respected Abel, and he did not respect Cain. Abel worshiped in a way that God had already declared appropriate. Remember, faith is our human response to divine initiation. When God speaks, we obey. That's faith. That's faith. The second one, Enoch. Enoch was so faithful that he just disappeared one day. Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. It's a very mysterious story to me. This man, is just, I just, whoop, gone. Not to be seen ever again. But we may never truly know why God translated Enoch, but, you know, he translated Enoch, but he didn't translate other people who were faithful. We don't know, we may never know exactly why he did that, decided to do it for Enoch, but we do know that he was translated because of his faith, because he pleased God. Going back to the fact that faith is about responding to God and not about thinking really hard about manifesting things that don't presently exist, Enoch did not plan to be taken away. This was not a thought that he had in his mind. I'm, I'm just going to think real hard. Come, Lord Jesus, come. 
and, and he's going he's gonna to take me away from here. That wasn't a thought that he had. Enoch did not wish himself into translation, but yet God took him. God declared it and he took him. For, from a biblical perspective, to walk with God meant that God inhabited every aspect of, of Enoch's life. When the Bible says that Enoch walked with God, it, it, it's talking more, more about more than just living for God and living with God. No, he, he walked with God in everything that he did. Um, there's, a, there's a Hebrew word for work, uh, abad. And it, it means that it, it's another word for worship. So what's implied is that even through, even through working, you find a way to worship God. This is the kind of life that Enoch had. Regardless of what was going on, he walked with God. He walked with God. And so God, that, that, that was so pleasing to God. You know, I just got to have him. Just come on with me. Come on to glory. The world don't even deserve you. And actually, later on in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the, the Hebrew writer says this. He said the, the world was not worthy of them. Talking about all the people that he listed. They weren't, the world wasn't worthy because of the, these individuals because they had so much faith in God. And I believe Enoch was just a special situation where God took him out of this world. Walking with God means that we maintain a conscious awareness of living in God's presence in all of our activities. And this is why Enoch received this special blessing. He was, he was taken. And uh, I don't think uh, Liam Neeson would be happy about it. Some of y'all will get that later. Let's look at the third one. Moses' parents had so much faith in God uh, that they put their baby in a basket and sent him across death waters. Hebrews eleven twenty three. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I love this one. See, these parents, like many Jewish families during this time, they faced a dilemma where you, you either abort your baby or you follow Pharaoh's commands. That was, that was your option. And Jochebed and Amram, Moses' parents, they said, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. No. Mm -mm. You see, they, they, they never received any special assurance, though, that God would spare them from Pharaoh's wrath. Right. Right. They never had any direction right. that if they withheld this child, that they would be protected. God never said that to them. The only thing they knew was that there was something special about Moses. There was something special about him. So we see two parents that saw something in Moses. The Bible says that he was, he was marked as a special child or a proper child, a beautiful child, something beyond though physical appearance. He wasn't just nice to look at. There was something deeply special about this child. Acts chapter 720, Stephen actually points this out. Oh, I said it. I said Stephen. I meant Stephen. <laughs> Y'all look at that later too. At this time, Moses was born and was well pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. This is Stephen testifying about Moses's specialness, right? All children are beautiful to God, but for some reason, some special reason, Moses was pleasing to God, and he was only an infant, perhaps signifying that this child was marked from birth to do something special for God. But Moses' parents are mentioned for a reason as having exercised faith 
by disobeying Pharaoh's orders. And here's where their faith came in place. You see, they demonstrate that faith may push us towards civil disobedience when obeying the command of man will cause us to disobey God's commands. This is, this is the example that we can get and glean from Jochebed and Amram. When man says do this, but God says do this, in my mind, there is no, there is no option. There is no choice. I'm going to do what God said. Now, when you take that route, you don't know, just like they didn't. They didn't see that God was going to protect them. They didn't see that they were going to be spared from Pharaoh's wrath. But they did it anyway. So when you take that route, when you decide, I'm going to obey God, come hell or high water, whatever, whatever the, the government is doing, I'm going to do something that is in line with what the word of God is, is saying to do. Right, And we know that the Bible also tells us and teaches us that we should uh, uh, obey and follow those who are in command over us, but there is a stipulation to that. If that government, those peoples, that, that body is telling you to do something contrary to what God has already put in command, you have to, by faith, follow after Christ and do what he commanded, come what may. Blind faith. No assurance that you're going to be protected but you believe and you trust anyway. Amen. I know they probably asked questions. Maybe, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. You know, will this put us in danger? Will this put us in danger of being labeled flagrants in the eyes of man? Probably. Will this put us in danger of being canceled by culture? Probably. Will this put us in physical danger of being harmed by those who disagree with our confidence and our conviction? Probably. But do you have the kind of faith that these folks had to do it anyway? To follow God anyway? Mm. Jesus. You know, I really, I really wanted to give us some examples of people who were specially mentioned in the Bible as having faith. And I, I think I've done that and there are others as well, but I'm going to wrap up here. But as I began to study, um, you know, this was still the goal, but we can't appreciate the faith that they had without understanding the type of faith they had. It's nice to read about examples in the word and to, and to see these people in the lives that they lived, they lived, but until you really get a picture, and this is where I felt God was, was leading me, to, until you really get a picture of the type of faith they had, it's just reading words on a page. Because it's not, it's not for us to just stop at saying, man, them people had wonderful faith. No, this is a call for us to have the same kind of faith. This is why the things are in the word, right? Is this, is this the kind of faith that I have? You know, you, and I say this often too, when you're reading scripture, you're reading these stories, you have to put yourself in that story because the Bible is not just talking to them, it's talking to you too. Do you have, do I have? I mean, I, 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 as, I, as I sat this week and I, and I poured over this, this material, and found myself on numerous occasions just staring at the wall, asking myself, do I have this type of faith to trust God come what may? It's heavy. It's, it's for me. 
especially when you think about the type of person I am. I, I, I'm always a person with a plan. But the type of faith I'm talking about, sometimes there isn't a plan. But I, God is asking me to follow anyway, to trust him anyway. I cannot compute, right? Error, error. But this is what God is asking us to do. This is what he's asking us to be. Before today, many of us probably believed, if I just believe enough, and you fill in the blank, God will, God will make fill in the blank happen. If I just believe enough, just, just trust God enough. Maybe it will, but maybe it won't. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Will you still follow after him? Yeah. Faith is about believing in what God has already declared and put in motion. It's not about you believing that you can bring into existence something that does not presently exist. That's what I want you to, of all the words I've said, there's 3,000 words on this page. Of all the words I've said, that's what I want you to take away from this lesson. It's faith is not about you trying to will into existence things that do not presently exist. Faith is about trusting God, sight unseen. These people are mentioned because they had confidence in the things God promised and the conviction that these unseen things would one day be realized. If we continue to approach faith like it's a wishing force, we're going to continue to experience frustration with God and ourselves. Because we say, you know, I just need to have more faith. If I just have faith like a mustard seed, right? Let me challenge your theology. It's not about the size of your faith. It's about the endurance of your faith. Mustard seeds can grow in any climate. That's what that scripture is implying. Faith like a mustard seed is not about a little bit of faith. It's about enduring faith. Even if you don't see what is happening or what can happen. That's faith. Mustard seed faith. Cain became a vagabond, a wanderer, because his approach to God at the altar, as I said earlier, was out of frustration and not out of faith. So here's some practical application for you. When we face a situation in our lives, we need to ask ourselves a few questions to test whether or not our faith is misplaced. First question is, is this hope connected to something that God has declared and guaranteed? Is this hope connected to something that God alone can bring about without my maneuvering and posturing? When I got to this question, I looked over at my wife. I said, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you, you, you wish hard enough for a house that you want to buy. And that's, that, that thought just takes up all of your mental energy. And so what you do in life is you position yourself at work to make sure you're in line to get the next raise or, you know, or maybe you position yourself over here to make sure that you're in line to receive this benefit or, or maybe, you, you know, ask yourself, is the faith you have in that moment, is it blind faith or are you trying to use faith like a wishing force? Third question we need to ask ourselves, is my approach to God out of frustration or out of faith? If it's out of frustration, then your, your faith is misplaced. Number four, am I only believing because I can see the thing that I've hoped for? If so, then you're not exercising faith. True faith may require us to believe until death and never see what we've hoped for. 
but we trust and obey anyway. Let's stand. <sighs> Hebrews eleven thirty six, and that last statement really pricked my heart. This is one of those times where I just kind of stared off into space and really pondered on, on, on my, the type of faith that I walk through life with. It may require you to believe until death and never see what we've hoped for, but we trust and obey anyway. Hebrews eleven thirty six through 40. Still others, this is the Hebrew writer speaking again. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging. So after he gives this long list of people, elders who, who were faithful, he says that there were others who had trials of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. That's the scripture I was talking about earlier. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They went through all that and still didn't receive the promise. And, and maybe you're familiar with this chapter, but, and I've read it multiple times before, and it's never really gripped me as it, as it has this week. I don't know why. Maybe I'll go back and pray some more and ask God for, for some direction. But will you believe, will you trust God and obey God if your relative your friend, somebody you love near and dear to you is sawn in two, physically or spiritually. Will you still, will you, you, Y-O-U, still trust and obey God, regardless of what is happening, either to you or others? Will you still trust God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this word. Lord, you've, you've convicted me in this house and God if, if not for anyone Lord I hear you I hear you speaking and I pray God that you would help us all to to really reflect on what what and the weight of these scriptures and, and the type of faith you're calling us to to not make light of the faith that that our elders had but God to really know and understand that they endured some hardships they endured some persecutions they endured some physical attacks mental attacks uh, you name it financial attacks and yet they still received a testimony, not the promise, the testimony of their faith. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to live up to such a testimony and we ourselves would be able to obey, to trust and obey you. Come what may. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, 
please visit AphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 